Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When I talk about self, I don't mean the body only. I don't mean the mind only. I mean that which is aware of the body and aware of the mind. So there's something that's aware of your thoughts that's not your thoughts. There's something that's aware of the body that's not the body. That is your true self. So when I experience that and just that, when I notice that I'm experiencing that, I feel nothing but peace and love and happiness. And that is truth for me. Welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, recovering perfectionist and author of the best-selling book and mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. This show explores how we can live the most free, wild, joyful, and flexible life possible. I interview world thought leaders across the fields of soul, science, psychology, medicine, and anything else that enriches the human experience to shift perspectives, create the life you want, and provide a much-needed pause from the busy world around us. If you listen to the show, please rate and comment as that truly helps. But let's get started. Hi everyone. So there wasn't an episode last week because I am getting ready to launch series eight. Gosh, it's been a total joy, every single one of them. And so many thank yous to my guests. These episodes have totally changed my life. And anytime I hear from you on social media, it really does make my day to think that other people also enjoy these episodes. So if you have enjoyed any, please let me know your thoughts because it's really encouraging to know that you like the podcast, you listen to the podcast, and also to know who do you want on this podcast. I want to interview the people that you're desperate to know more about or topics you're interested in. So please do let me know and I can then make sure I get them on the podcast and deliver great conversations for you to listen to. This podcast really is in service of everyone living their best life. So however I can help you, please, please, please let me know. I also just launched my book, Happy Not Perfect, which 
was quite nerve-wracking in a way but actually deeply liberating and I'm so pleased it's out in the world now and the feedback has been absolutely incredible. Some of the messages I've received really have made me start crying. It's just been so touching to know that the story in the book and also the tools shared in the book about how to become a flexible thinker have really resonated and people are really enjoying it. So if you haven't got yourself a copy of Happy Not Perfect, please do. It's across any bookstore that you find your books at and join in the conversation. And I think I might set up a book club at some point. So if that is of interest to you, again, please let me know because it's always good to have encouragement to know what will be useful and what wouldn't. So anyway, I now want to introduce my guest who is absolutely fantastic. He is the first ever happiness coach I met about seven or eight years ago now. Rob Mack has been teaching people how to be happier before most of the world was speaking about wellness. He truly has pioneered a movement and changed the lives of millions worldwide. His book, Happiness from the Inside Out, is absolutely brilliant. And it's an honor to have Rob on the show. His Instagram is really worth a follow for constantly thought-provoking content that helps you feel aligned in the best way. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? Yeah, so my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, I have so many, but it's that which is real can't be threatened. That which can be threatened isn't real. Herein lies the peace of God, right? So it's an of Course in Miracles quote. I love it so much because it's a reminder to focus on what's real. For me, that's this infinite, eternal, thoughtless, wordless, faceless, formless, peaceful aliveness inside. Gosh, I love that so much because I feel that in this world right now, there is a sense that everybody feels so easily threatened, like what they have can be taken away from them. And it's leaving us quite fearful. And I feel that quote is the most beautiful antidote to this idea that what is real cannot be threatened. Your true essence, no one can replicate. That is yours and yours only. Poppy, boom, that's precisely it. That's exactly it. And, you know, it's tempting, it's understandable to put your happiness, your sense of security, stability, and safety in external things and other people and other places. And of course, that doesn't work very well. It's a short path and recipe for unhappiness and for conflict and for problems. And instead, when you focus on the essence, the core of who you are, true self, and you really spend some time adoring that self and enjoying that self, you quickly discover that the other stuff is nice. You know, it's icing on the cake, but you are the cake. <laughs> you are the cake, right? So yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes. I remember the first time I read it and I just was stopped dead in my tracks like, oh, right. Love that. What's the life lesson you've been reminded of and why? Happiness is your gift to the world. It's your gift to the world. I think it's easy, particularly for those of us who've been raised in academia and have been rewarded for trying to think your way out of problems and we're coaches or teachers. And, you know, you always want to help people by telling them more. But I think we can show better than we can teach. We can show better than we can tell. We can show and teach through our living, shining example. And I've discovered that if I can just be the change myself, if I can just be the happiness and the peace and the love that I so badly want to talk about and so love talking about, I can do a much bigger, better, and show forth a much more blissful path 
to the actual experience of that peace, love and happiness, instead of just decorating the world with more words, right? So happiness is my gift to the world. And when I remember that, I remember to be the change that I want to see in other people. Wow, I really love that, especially as I feel that we've become such experts at talking the talk and using these little squares to project what we want people to believe about ourselves. And definitely that was my crisis when suddenly it was like, okay, you're not doing what you're telling other people to do. Like there is a big problem here. What a lovely life lesson. Poppy, I love that so much. You're right. It's easy to talk about it, but it's really about being about it, right? (laughs) An intro course is always like knowing what to do, but the advanced level, the graduate level is always doing it. Yeah. And lastly, obviously it's not every day I get to ask a happiness coach how they define happiness. So it's quite exciting. Um, How do you define happiness? Someone who has researched happiness for over a decade. So happiness is what you are. Okay. So in the beginning of a journey, at least my journey, I thought it was what you do, you know, it's the activities. And then you find that Sometimes the same activities can bring you happiness one day, unhappiness the next. Then you graduate and you think, well, it's, happiness is certainly not what I have. But maybe it's who I surround myself by. And then you realize that changes. Then you think, well, maybe happiness is what I think. But then you discover that even with the most positive thinking, underneath that sometimes is this anxiety that continues to exist. And so I think for me, you eventually get to a place where you realize that happiness isn't a status, lifestyle status. It's not what you do. It's not a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's who and what you are. And the easy way to describe that is it's that lasting, meaningful, abiding, peaceful aliveness that exists inside of you, but as you all the time, underneath all your thoughts and all your feelings is this sense that all is well, but you have to dive deep enough to find it. Catching big fish, not an easy task. And that is why... There's one Instagram that I genuinely get very excited for the next post. And I really don't say that about anyone, anyone else's Instagram aside from yours, because it doesn't, it's like you're psychic. I'll read a post and I'll go, that was, I was just pondering that. Or, oh, I needed to hear that reminder today. But I thought I would love to start with just going through some of the Instagram posts you've recently put up because they're topics that felt so resonant with where we are right now in culture and today. The one that initially just stood out, being real doesn't mean being negative. And I was like, ah, because we're getting to this place I find, and I'm seeing this in so many of the conversations I'm having with my friends. Someone's like, well, I'm going to be real here. And they throw some really critical comment or I'm just going to be real with you. And it's just so bizarre how we kind of celebrate this horribleness in this cloak of realness. Now, what do you have to say about this? I absolutely agree with you. It's interesting how common this belief is around truth, or being real, equating to negativity, or something that feels cruel and mean. And I'm of the mind that if it's not loving, it's not true, and it's not real. For me, love is real. That's what's real. You know, underneath all of my feelings, whatever they are, fear, anxiety, stress, whatever, there is this infinite eternal love, and this pull of love that exists there always. And so if it's not said or expressed with love, it's not true. It's not real. 
And I know that because I can feel into my body and notice how I feel when I say something that's true and loving versus when I say something that I think is real, but not loving, that unloving, maybe mean or cruel or unkind. My body, there's a visceral difference, a response. And I happen to believe in the wisdom of the body. And so when I say something loving, my perspective broadens, my entire being feels uplifted. I feel elevated. I feel more connected. I feel more tapped in, tuned in, turned on. And so for me, that's every indication of truth. Gosh, I want to dive into this further because it's causing fireworks in my brain for like many reasons, because I guess like if we are just love, you're so right in in saying, you know, these sadness and these sorrows, you know, is not true, then what are they? Where are our critical thoughts coming from if they're not true? Well, so that's just it, right? So, and this is the challenge and opportunity with these kinds of conversations is that ultimately you have to define some of the terms. So when I talk about self, I don't mean the body only. I don't mean the mind only. I mean that which is aware of the body and aware of the mind, right? So there's something that's aware of your thoughts that's not your thoughts. There's something that's aware of the body that's not the body. That is your true self. We might call it your non-physical being. We could call it your spiritual self, your soul, your higher self. It's really just one self. So when I experience that and just that, when I notice that I'm experiencing that, I feel nothing but peace and love and happiness. And that is truth for me. So when spiritual teachers, for instance, talk about truth with a capital T, they're talking about that. They're not talking about the conditions and circumstances that you see in front of you that are fleeting and changing all the time. They're not talking about change. They're talking about the unchanging awareness that observes all of that. There's something that's different from that change that's able to observe it, that is unchanging or changeless from which you are aware of all those things. And so when you're tapped into and turned on to that, which you always are, you're just not always aware of it, you experience that as peace, love, bliss, joy. So where does this kind of mean ego voice, where is it coming from? So, you know, we've got this beautiful brain that is wired with a negativity bias. What that means is the brain is really great at survival. It's not so great at happiness, okay? But if you can survive, the chances of being happy go way up, right? (laughs) The brain is always constantly on the lookout for dangers or threats because it wants to protect you, protect the body, and keep the body alive. And so this negativity bias plays out all day, every day, in an effort to keep you alive. And what that means is that problems and threats and dangers, even if they're illusory or just perceptual and they're not quote unquote real, will get and keep your attention more so than positive things. What that means is that the brain is always like a center of a ship looking for problems to solve. It's a problem solver, but it also is just as much a troublemaker, right? Because when it can't find problems, it will look for another problem. And if it can't find one, it will create one, right? And so that really ultimately comes down just to a brain that cares very much for you and your survival and is looking for dangers and threats to solve or prevent. And so we get caught up in the mind and caught up in the brain and we forget that we're perfectly safe and sound right where we are. You also wrote recently, and I think this links to this conversation, how do I know is the ego or soul talking? Because I'm sure there's times when, you know, actually your soul is saying, hmm, no, this relationship isn't right. Or your soul is like, "Mm, actually, there's a better job for you in the future. But it's really difficult to know, is it our fear going, oh my God, 
you need to leave this relationship. Oh my gosh, or you need to stay in this relationship. That is my biggest trouble is like how on earth are you differentiating between those voices of what is ego and what is soul? Oh, it's so powerful, Poppy. I've struggled with that one most of my life as well. It's a really tough one. I mean, the one thing I feel clear about these days is that if it's not of peace, it's not of God. Another word for God is love or happiness. So if it's not of peace, it's coming from the ego, right? And so another way of saying it is this, when you're coming from a heart-centered place, when you're coming from love, there's clarity and confidence and peace about it, right? Yeah. When you're coming from the ego, there's usually dissonance and conflict and confusion about it. Now, the challenge is to hear your heart, you come from a place of love, you have to quiet your mind. If you are in the mind trying to figure out the problem from a mind level, you're going to always find conflict and confusion and dissonance. The mind is not decisive, it is divisive by its very nature, it exists in a state of duality. And so to hear your heart, you really do have to practice and work on quieting your mind. Then what you discover is, you then make choices from this heart-centered love-based place of abundance, where the choice isn't about, oh, I'm gonna do X, Y, or Z in order to be happy, to feel loved, or to be at peace. No, that's putting the cart before the horse. You say, I found the source of peace, love, and happiness first, I rest and relax there. And the decision that I make from that place is again, icing on the cake and it's nice, but it doesn't determine or detract from or add a whole lot to this infinite, eternal peace, love, and happiness that I ultimately have inside me and that I am, right? And so the real key there is to hear the mind which speaks so loudly, knows so little, but the heart speaks in a whisper, but it knows everything. So how do you quieten? What are some of the things that you can do? And I know often, you know, meditation, but I find meditation for most people is really, really difficult. So are there any other alternative routes that we can start practicing every single day to try to raise the volume of this very, very quiet voice of our heart that we all need to follow a bit more closely? Absolutely, Poppy. Yeah, I'm with you, I think, and most people. I really struggle with meditation. The first meditation course I took, I thought I was having a panic attack. <laughs> it was <laughs> horrible, right? And so I discovered that an hour was too long, even five minutes was too long, but I could do one breath. And so I'm a firm believer in micro meditations. So micro meditation is one breath that you take simply and solely for the joy of it alone. You let all of your thoughts go, you breathe from the stomach and you pretend like it's the last breath that you'll ever take on this planet again. You really try to juice and milk that one breath for every drop of joy you can get out of it. If you're sincere about it and you mean it, you'd be surprised at how quiet the mind will get. And then later you can do it again. So the idea is to do it as frequently as possible throughout the day, no matter what else you're doing and do it only for the joy of it. If you try to get good at it, you'll never get good at it. If you try to enjoy it, you'll get good at it really fast. Oh, that is so interesting what you just said. If you try to get good at it, you'll never get good at it. But if you enjoy it, you'll get good at it. It's, you know, I'm a bit of a type A, even though I don't really want to be a type A. And when you have it, when you have that kind of perfectionist brain, you just have this thing inside of you that's like, I need to get good at this. I need to be doing this every single day. And you kind of become so regimented and immediately it loses its magic because you're trying too hard. That's exactly right. I mean, it's easy and understandable seductive to focus on the fruit of your action, but that compromises the action itself, 
right? So instead of being so results oriented, being process oriented mm. and keeping your eye off the scoreboard, you know, as an athlete, we would always check the scoreboard, check the scoreboard, or I was a runner, I would always check the runners behind me. That's the very way to compromise your performance is by being distracted and being of two minds. And so the key and the opportunity is to be single-minded and focusing on the present moment and doing everything you can to enjoy the present moment as deeply as possible. And that's why you find yourself more easily in a flow state experience. We know in flow state, you're in the zone, loss of time consciousness, loss of self-consciousness. You're so tapped into and turned on and enjoying what you're doing that you don't have a whole lot of time to evaluate how you're doing, right? In that flow state, you're like 500 to 1,000% more efficient, effective, and efficacious than whatever you happen to be doing in that state. And this really links into something that you say a lot. The secret to more wealth, health, harmony, and happiness is to relax. Yeah, it's um, interesting how hard we make relaxing and how we all want to take the long, hard, indirect, scenic path to everything we really want in our lives. You know, the truth is we only want success because we think we'll feel better for it. We only want wealth because we think we'll feel better for it. We only want health because we think we'll feel better for it. So ultimately, happiness is the highest health. Happiness is the highest wealth. Happiness is the highest success because it's the reason we want those other things, right? And so mm -hmm. if you can turn that around and mm -hmm. focus on and prioritize the happiness first, you find experientially, but also scientifically, that happiness leads to success. It leads to more wealth. It leads to better health, right? We know that happy people, as opposed to their unhappy counterparts, live six to seven years longer. They make $600,000 to $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime. They get married earlier, stay married longer, are happier in all their relationships, whether they're married or not. It's not about marriage, obviously. They experience better health and better health outcomes. And so happiness is really a cheat code to getting everything else you want. On your journey, have you ever felt, because, you know, as I said, you're probably one of the first people I've met and really who went online to share this research in a really uh, relatable and easy to consume way around happiness. On this journey, did you ever feel sometimes this pressure to almost be, inverted commas, happy because you were sharing the tools, the information, the research, and obviously everyone gets challenges doesn't matter how good you are at this stuff how did you manage that by being the happiness coach and then also like when life throws you a shit sandwich <laughs> yes absolutely i had somebody very close to me in my life uh, probably when i was just coming off the heels of my first book tour and um, this person said to me well rob you're a happiness coach you know, what's going on there, brother? You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I was like, oh man, good point. Good point. You know, so I have felt pressure about that for sure. And I've also, you know, I've since then really relaxed into it though. I'm very clear, crystal clear that what you teach teaches you. No question about it. Right. And so if you really want to learn something, teach it, <laughs> teach it. And you'll find that that's why I always say, and want to be careful about the books I write, because it's like, whatever it is that you write about, well, ultimately, it's always meant for you. So I'm very clear that every piece of advice I give is really always mostly meant for me, right? So, but I don't feel any pressure about it anymore. I used to feel a lot of pressure, um, but I mostly have come to a much more selfish place where it's like, no, I want to be happy for me. And it's great if they think I'm happy. If they don't think I'm happy, that's okay too. But what is my real authentic experience? And am I staying committed to that? 
So you've researched this field far and wide and incredibly deep at the same time. What do you believe is the greatest barriers that are stopping people from living their most happiest life? Looking at research, why are the tools becoming more available, but yet on the whole, people are becoming less happy? It doesn't quite make sense. We become richer and we're less happy. We're talking about this more, we're talking about mental health more, but yet we're becoming sadder. Yes, the progress paradox, right? The progress paradox. Well, you can never get enough of something you don't really need. There's that. Also, if you're going in the wrong direction, increasing the speed won't help, right? So what happens ultimately, I think, is, first of all, it's easy to talk a hot game. It's a much more difficult but rewarding experience to actually be a hot game or walk a hot game. And so I'd say that number one barrier is the mind and its thoughts. It's just thoughts. Okay. At the end of the day, we're just talking about thoughts. That's really what's in your way. You think, we think that these things that we desire in the future are opportunities to be happy later, but they're actually just obstacles to being happy right here and now, right? Think about mm-hmm. anything, right? So anytime you have a desire, that doesn't, that's not an argument against desires. It's just a recognition that most of us say, I want this thing tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now, or I want this person tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now. And we think of that as an opportunity to be happy or happier in the future, but it's really just an invitation to postpone and procrastinate our happiness right here and now. And so it's really just the mind, okay? So it's our stories and thoughts about life, about what we don't have, about what we want, about what happiness really is that get in the way of our experience of happiness that's always there inside of you, right? So that's number one. Another way of saying it is just simply this. Um, You're unhappy not because you don't have what you want, but because you want what you do not have. Another way of saying it, right? And so the short way of saying it is we have a very future-oriented mindset. And so we're always putting happiness outside of us and in the future. And that by itself is already the problem. When happiness actually only lives and exists inside of you right here in this now moment, we always think if I get to the, when I get to the future, then I'll stop and be grateful and I'll be present because I'll have what I want. But we don't realize we take this future-oriented mindset with us into the future and just continue projecting you know, happiness out into the future further and further. So that's like the deep, more esoteric explanation you know, on a sort of more practical, tactical level. I'd say that most of us, in addition to these thought issues, you know, are status anxieties, comparison, there's judgment, right? All of that's going on. And really it's an inability simply to sit still by yourself in a room alone with nothing but your own thoughts and find happiness that prevents you from experiencing more consistently. And do you blame social media for the rise in comparison and status comparison? No, um, I don't blame it. Um, I can see the ways in which it's a mirror and it's a magnifying glass and it's a megaphone. Yes. Um, And there are human beings with human consciousness behind the creation of all that. And we all have the choice and freedom and flexibility to make a different decision. Yes, Mm -hmm. these people are very good at creating algorithms that keep you addicted, Mm -hmm. understood. But if you've done it for one moment, you can do it again. Rinse, wash, and repeat. If you've ever done anything once, you can do it again. And so um, I don't blame uh, social media and I don't blame anybody or anything else for moments in which I've been unhappy. One, because in my blame, kind of render myself powerless to do anything about it, right? As soon as I mm. say somebody else is responsible for, for my unhappiness is the second I've given away all my power. 
So mm. no blame, just appreciation and a recognition that social media offers a mirror for the thoughts that are already in your own head. And if you can be and pay attention to that, you can quickly pivot, stop putting your hand on the hot stove. I love to talk more about blame because this really links to our relationship we have with the past. And with the rise of more people talking about mental health, I've also noticed a rise in people wanting to blame circumstances, their past, their parents for, you know, who they are right now. It's difficult to kind of tell someone who's lost in that, stop blaming because it kind of comes across quite kind of preachy or whatever. But what are your thoughts on this? And obviously you must meet a lot of people that want to tell you all the reasons for why things are the way they are. I find that um, stillness and silence and peace is the most powerful teacher. The only thing freely given and never received is unsolicited advice, right? And so I'm, <laughs> I want to be very careful about that. You know, I like to meet people where they are. That mostly means listening mindfully and actively, reflecting back what I heard them say in their own words without judgment, and then validating, normalizing, and empathizing. Honestly, if I can just meet them where they are as a human being, that is going to prove to be a lot more persuasive and influential in a positive direction than trying to tell them something that I assume they don't know. Okay, right. I want to like touch upon that a bit more. Because the mind is obviously incredibly fragile and also can latch on to different stories it wants to believe. And also we cannot remember the past accurately. Like the human brain doesn't have that ability to. So I'm interested in validating someone's past experience when maybe that isn't true because we know the brain can't remember the past and we're reinforcing an understanding of a narrative that is disempowering them. So when I think about validation and normalizing and empathizing, what I'm validating is the experience they're having now meaning the thoughts they're having now in their own head about that experience. I'm not validating that experience. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Even if I was there, I'm not them. I have no idea. Right. And so ultimately all I'm validating and all I'm really doing in my reflection back to them is saying, if I heard you correctly, Poppy, what I heard you say was X, Y, and Z. Did I hear you correctly? I say, oh, that's pretty much it. And say, if I were you, I would be feeling the exact same way you are right now. And all that means is if I had the thoughts in your head, if I had your childhood, if I had the programming and conditioning, I would be feeling you like, just like you are, because I would be you, right? That's all that's saying. And then there's an opportunity to your point, which is to very artfully and skillfully help them pivot by positive reframing this experience and challenge as an opportunity, right? But that you want to wait on, you really want to sit on that because if you go in too early, you really risk breaking rapport and you risk losing ground with the connection you've made with them. And if there's anything that's going to help someone, it's going to be unconditional regard. We know that we've seen tons of studies that say what matters in therapy, for instance, isn't necessarily the school of thought that the therapist is coming from. Sometimes that can help, but it's more about the unconditional regard or unconditional love that that therapist is able to hold in that session, in those conversations within the context of that relationship. So if you really want to change and transform a situation or a person, you're better off leaning into unconditional love than you are your logic. And so do you think there is a space for tough love where you go, right, no more, come on. We've had that compassionate moment. 
but you're coming with me. Do you think there's room for that? Or like, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Absolutely. And again, I think the imperative word there is love, right? So mm-hmm. I've had uh, tough love experiences that didn't feel like love. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, maybe it was like kind of helpful in the moment or whatever, but can't say that my life was permanently transformed in a healthy way as a result of it. But the imperative, the key word there is love. And so absolutely, right? Love looks different all the times. And, you know, and especially if you look at back into the, any of the teachings of a lot of spiritual teachers, for instance, right? Like in Zen, you have to whack you on the head with a stick if you're falling asleep in meditation, right? And you, you know where it's coming from. You're like, okay, this teacher is just trying to do what I asked him to do for me. So um, yes, I do. And I have discovered and found that I can be firm and I can be strong and I can also be deeply loving. So there's no question in your mind that I am coming from a place of love and I am not your keeper and I'm not your boss and I'm not your parent. I am someone who cares deeply about you. And I find this extraordinarily important. And I know, and I see the beauty and the value in you. And I want to do everything to help support and bring that out. So, so, so great. Do you have a course on teaching people this? I don't probably, maybe we can create one together because you are great at all those things. I don't have a course on it. And I've been thinking about that, exploring it, um, you know, off and on a lot. I think part of the joy that I get is like these live conversations in person. I do offer these joy circles. So I offer these joy circles. They're like group coaching experiences that happen for eight weeks. Um, So I do offer that, but I don't have anything like online that's automated that people can click through yet. Not yet. When he does, I will tell everyone about it because I do think that it's so wonderful for us to have such a reminder of our heart center and leading with love because the world, I think at this point in time, doesn't necessarily encourage this. What are your thoughts on where we are right now culturally? Yeah, I can appreciate where we are. You know, it's like anything else, I suppose, in the world. There are pros and there are cons to it. I think there feels like there's a lot of polarization, a lot of division, a lot of confusion. You know, I mean, um, there's so much of it that you can see the value and the beauty in, and there's so much of it that feels like it's heading in the wrong direction. It's okay if it sounds irresponsible. I don't put a whole lot of time or thought or energy into what the world is up to or what other people are up to. It sort of saps me and drains me of my energy and my optimism and my hope and my enthusiasm, right? So if there's um, some kind of change that I wanna make or some kind of or space or place where I feel like I can add value and I can be helpful and supportive, I definitely wanna explore that. But I think the world is gonna continue going on being the world. And I don't look for or outsource my peace, my love, my happiness to it. Really love that answer because I do think, and I also can fall into cycles of watching the news too much and almost kind of waiting for the world to change in order for us to feel more peaceful and we're going to be constantly waiting. Poppy, that's so good. You nailed it. That's exactly it. It's like, how many excuses do I need to wait on this happiness thing before I get happy? It's like, well, if the world would be different, if politics would be different, if we could elect someone else, if COVID can end, if I could, it's like always postponement and procrastination. And so I'm a firm believer in not waiting, not procrastinating, live now, love now, be happy now. It's all we've got. So it can be and sound like a cliche, but the truth is the truth. We just have this moment, you know, live it like it really matters. 
And this links in to this thing you posted the other day. And I was like, ah, you wrote, you can't appreciate what you are too busy analyzing. And I feel like I have just proven in my last question, like, what do you think about the world? Let's analyze that. I've just proven that quote right. We are in the same boat. We are cut from the same cloth. Poppy, absolutely. I mean, the only reason that thought even occurred to me is because that's what I've, how I've spent all my life, my entire life, right? It's just like evaluation, an analysis. And it's like, you can't enjoy what you're too busy examining or evaluating. You can't appreciate what you're too busy, busy analyzing. And you don't have to have lived that long to recognize and see how that's true. I mean, how many times have you eaten a delicious breakfast or lunch or dinner or had an incredibly powerful and delicious intimate experience or whatever and you don't remember it like you mm -hmm. weren't there to experience it you were busy in your own head evaluating something else worrying planning plotting scripting your life out and so yes it's very tempting to pre-live or relive moments in your life but really the beauty the value the bliss is in living this present moment as deeply and fully as possible and trusting and knowing that if you take care of the present, the future will take care of itself. So you um, were talking recently about the difference between post-traumatic trauma and post-traumatic growth. And I really love this very subtle pivot because it can completely change someone's health, to be honest. What does kind of post-traumatic trauma and post-traumatic growth mean? And how do you turn one to another? Yeah, so PTSD, we're pretty all common with, you know, you might have some experience, um, you know, often we think about um, soldiers that go off to war, but it can also be all kinds of, it could be physical abuse or sexual abuse, psychological, emotional abuse, you know, something really tragic or traumatic that's happened to your life can lead to these adverse negative repercussions or consequences or effects, right? And so you have people that, you know, feel anxiety, they feel stressed and depressed, and maybe suicidal, maybe they have they remember that experience. They almost they relive it every time it comes up, right? And they have trouble connecting with other people. And so PTSD, we're pretty uh, familiar with. What we're not so familiar with, but deserves a lot more time, energy, and attention is post-traumatic growth. So PTG, post-traumatic growth, surprisingly enough, is much more common as an outcome from most adverse or even traumatic experiences in life. Most people actually grow from the experiences they have. And they grow even when they're not trying to grow from those experiences, right? And this post-traumatic growth can happen along with or come on the heels of PTSD. So one doesn't exclude the other, right? And post-traumatic growth really happens when your beliefs or assumptions about the world are shaken to their core and you're forced to let them go and sort of rebuild from this stronger, more solid foundation. Right. And so that's where you see people suddenly they have this deep gratitude for life or suddenly they have a connection or affinity or trust and faith in something bigger than themselves. They can call it spirituality. They might call it religion. They just might call it life or happiness. Right. But they grow from this experience. And that's a much more common outcome as a result of even the worst adversity um, in our lives. Wow. And I again, I just love this focus on actually more people have this post-traumatic growth experience and it really helps to dissolve fear of the worst imaginable happening. Because if you're hearing that actually everyone's surviving and not only surviving, but actually surviving better, you suddenly are like, why do I have so much fear in life? To that point, straight roads don't make skillful drivers. And with surprising 
and really appealing about this post-traumatic growth phenomenon is that the people who often experience it in the greatest possible ways are the people you'd least expect to experience it, meaning it's the least resilient people often who experience the most post-traumatic growth. Now, there are two keys there. One is openness and the other is extroversion. So we've found that these two traits are correlated with post-traumatic growth experiences, meaning that if you can kind of stay open to other people, to ideas, after you've had this very difficult time or challenging time in your life, and you can stay connected to people, that's gonna facilitate this experience of post-traumatic growth. But the point ultimately that you made is spot on, right? You need adversity in your life. You need some challenge in your life. You don't have to invite it in, I promise it's already there, but it really helps to build stronger people, stronger character, more self-awareness, more gratitude. More compassion, love, all of the things. Well, where can people find you? Because as I said, he really is the best person to follow on Instagram for these daily nuggets that just rock your mind and soul into a more grateful, loving place. And you also have a book. So where can people find that too? So if folks are interested, they can find me at coachrobmack.com. That's my website. You can also find my book, Happiness from the Inside Out, everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can find me on most all social media platforms, including Instagram at Rob Mac Official. Amazing. I will put all of those links in the show notes so everyone can have easy access. Rob, you're a joy. And I can't wait to connect with you soon when finally the world allows to meet in person. So excited for that. Please hope it soon. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 